I'm Kate Parker. This is Warming Signs, a podcast with the sound minds of science. The jungle could soon lose its king. Lions have suffered staggering population losses. There are 90% less of the big cats roaming in the wild today than there were 100 years ago. So how does an animal with no natural predators end up in such a predicament? It's Dr. Amy Dickman's mission to answer that question. She's a conservation biologist at Oxford University and a National Geographic explorer, and she spent more than 20 years working in Africa and knows all too well that when lions and humans interact, the big cats end up the big losers. I recently spoke with her at Climate Week in New York City, and what she told me about the fate of lions in the wild was an eye-opener. Amy, thank you so much for sitting down with me in the middle of the UN Climate Summit, just kind of this Climate Week in New York City, kind of chaos, a lot of stuff going on. How'd you get here? What is a conservation biologist doing in New York for Climate Week? I am asking myself that every day. <laughs> no, it's a wonderful opportunity to, for a start, learn a lot more about what other people are doing and the bigger global conversation about the environment and climate change. And it's really wonderful. I was brought here with National Geographic and the Lions Share Fund. And it's just a way of sort of me bringing a little bit of expertise from the field and my experiences, particularly representing local communities, to think about how we can make sure that when we look at climate change and how we resolve it, we're thinking also about the people who actually live with a lot of this biodiversity and how these solutions make sense for them. So what is a conservation biologist? What is your field work that you have experience with? So I specialize on big cats in particular. People and love big cats. They do, they do. <laughs> and large carnivores in general. So we actually, our project focuses on lions, leopards, cheetahs, African wild dogs, and spotted hyenas. Those are the five wow. species of interest. And a conservation biologist in general, obviously, is looking to maintain wildlife populations. Um, but it's really important. When I first got into this, it was all about the wildlife. You know, I loved big cats. I was like many of your viewers and actually... My brother and I dug up a memory box that I had buried at the age of 10 and it said what I wanted to be doing at the then unimaginable age of 30. And mine said two things. I wasn't very ambitious. I wanted to be working on lions in the Serengeti oh and I wanted to have a zebra-striped Land Rover. <laughs> <laughs> so these are the, my two life goals. And at that point it was all about the big cats and yeah. wanting to protect those. But over time and as I've worked in Africa, I've worked in Africa for 20 years now, I've understood it's much more about the systems in which they occur and particularly the fact that these animals are living increasingly alongside human communities. So we've got to respect and develop solutions that work for the people as well as the wildlife. So you achieved one of those. You're working with lions. Do you have the zebra-striped I don't. I have like eight broken down land roads and I keep meaning to just paint one black and white just to tick that off the list. You have to. I have to. It's it's a must now. Your childhood dreams coming true. I know. I have suggested to Land Rover they just give us a zebra-striped one, but they kind of just laugh awkwardly. (laughs) I, I, as a child, wanted to be a marine biologist and ended up a meteorologist. So I very much admire that you stuck with those childhood dreams and made them a reality. What do you think is the, you know, the biggest moments that you've had in your career thus far working with lions? You know, what are kind of these like aha, coolest moments? I think it's a career of massive ups and downs. You know, you get to experience amazing wilderness. You get to make all these dreams come true of being out there in the wild with these animals. There are huge lows as well. And for instance, when I think about seminal moments, really iconic moments in the career, 
One of them was when we were trying to break in with the tribe locally who was doing a lot of the lion killing. In our oh, area, yeah. which is around Roha National Park in southern Tanzania, huge amounts of lion killing. Uh, we all hear about the trophy hunting debate, but actually the conflict killing, the sort of stuff we were seeing on village land because big cats are just a, a cost to local people was far, far higher than you would get from trophy hunting, about oh, 100 yeah. times higher in this Whoa. area. Oh, yeah, no, we don't hear about that. We don't that. hear about it, and we should, because it's a far bigger threat. So when we went in there, and it's pregnant females, it's cubs, it's everything. When we went in there, there was this huge amount of killing, and a lot of it was the local tribe who obviously had no reason to maintain these animals. And we tried for two years to break in with them, but unsurprisingly, they were very hostile towards conservationists, the idea of anyone changing their behaviour, telling them what to do. And so it took two years for us to break in with them at all. And the way that we did it eventually, it was nothing planned, but we put up solar panels at camp to charge our laptops. And then the Barabag, this tribe, turned up to charge their mobile phones. Oh, wow. <laughs> and it was such, it's such an obvious connector to all of us. We all rely on our mobile phones. Yeah. But I hadn't thought of that being the way to connect with this remote tribe. Right, we can get you power. Absolutely. Yeah. Before they were walking like 15 kilometers to get the power. And now you can get it. And now we get it right here. So they turned up, they charged their phones, started a conversation with them. And we then had a meeting and they said, look, we want to work with you. We think, you know, you're trying to do good stuff. But after that, there was a, they went out and they killed several lions around <sighs> the camp. And that period was extremely low for us because... Yeah. I just, I felt that there was no way of breaking forward. And I spoke to one of my friends who runs Lion Guardians in Kenya. And she said, this is a test. They're trying to see whether, you know, whether you are truly committed to them as well as the lions. That you're not always just going to take the side of the wildlife almost. And it's true, you know, we, we worked with them. We were trying to understand why these killings happen. And now we formed a very strong partnership with them, with the local authorities, with the park, to sort of have this much more robust solution that involves all of us. And that... While that moment was really devastating for us as a team, it also led to this breakthrough with that community. And I think it's something that, for me, has really always resonated, that this is about forming partnerships, positive partnerships with people, and then we deliver good solutions for wildlife. It it seems like that's so applicable to so many areas of life and really a lot of the climate conversation. Absolutely, it really is. You can't just bowl over communities and say, change your ways, period, the end. No, definitely. And I think people look at what other countries, other places are doing. They're always saying, well, you know, what about India? What about China? All the time. What about Africa? They're going through these huge periods of growth. Of course they are. They want what we have. We are sitting here in New York with air-conditioned rooms, with mobile phones, with electricity, like a switch away. Everyone wants those things. And the challenge, of course, for us globally is how do we move towards a place when everyone has a good quality of life, and not just measured economically, but in all the sort of ways that matter, without us destroying the planet and you know, amplifying this climate crisis that we're in. So are these local killings of lions the biggest threat to them, or is habitat loss, or perhaps the changes that we're seeing with within the habitat due to climate change, longer periods of drought in regions versus heavier downpours. Is it, what's the, what are the threats that are facing these big cats? So primarily the main threat for big cats is habitat loss, land use change, and then conflict with local people. Mm-hmm. Climate change is a big underlying driver. So if you look at biodiversity loss, and we're in a real situation of crisis for wildlife. So around one in four species we think on the planet now is threatened with extinction. It's wild. It's heartbreaking. It's it's terrifying. And these species underpin our entire foundations of of 
our world. And so, so it we, matters. Like it, a lion in Africa matters to people in the U.S. Absolutely. In the Midwest. And the lion is just a symbol, an icon of a bigger habitat. If you have lions in an ecosystem, you usually have a fairly healthy ecosystem with prey, with you know habitat for that prey. So you're talking about an intact ecosystem relatively. And that's why looking at something like lions is important because it represents so much more. But if we start to erode those ecosystems, if we have poor soil quality, we don't have enough prey animals, we don't have top predators, the whole thing starts to fall apart and biodiversity loss is a massive has huge implications for human communities as well. That isn't necessarily why we should protect it. It obviously has its own intrinsic value as well. But it's so important to know that we're all interconnected. We have to protect biodiversity because that is what our world is built on. And huge amounts of human services that we rely on come from nature. So when you look at the threats to biodiversity and what's driving this decline, the top two threats are land use change and over-harvesting, over-utilisation, things like overfishing, you know, just overuse of of, um, of natural sources. But the third one is climate change. And it's interesting because, of course, these things work together. So climate change, as you mentioned, amplifies the other threats. You have droughts, which then leads to more food insecurity, which then, when we're looking at something like lions, will increase the tensions between local people who are now more vulnerable and lions. Because if lions then come and attack their livestock, they're going to be even less able to withstand those kinds of costs. So all these things work together in concert and they, it becomes quite a complicated situation. But it's one that we do need to have, you know, holistic solutions for where we say, how do we protect large intact ecosystems in a way that enables human populations to benefit and thrive alongside wildlife? And that will address climate change and biodiversity loss together. I think whenever, um, as an American who has only been to northern Africa, when I picture, you know, these vast areas of land with, you know, lions or this other wildlife on it, it kind of seems like there might be like, you know, four lions in all of Africa, you know, because that's kind of what we see at any given time whenever mm-hmm. we're watching you know, nature mm-hmm. films and, and I'm sure a lot of the work that you do. What are we looking at numbers wise as far as lions go? Well, it's great that you bring that up because actually I feel it's almost the other way that the perception, the media perception in particular of lions is, is so prevalent that any nature documentary in Africa often has, has lions in it. It does, yeah. You know, lions are everywhere. It's one of my little just things to do when I'm bored is to look around and see when I can find a lion somewhere. And there's always lions. They're on buildings, they're on flags, they're on Lions, they're tigers, everywhere. and bears. Oh they're, my, we've got the Lion King. Yeah, we have an obsession with lions. We actually, like them. They are everywhere. But actually, when you look at the numbers of lions wild in Africa, it's a really alarming story. So our most recent figures are that there's somewhere around 22 to 23,000 wild lions left in, in free-roaming populations. There's like around 20,000? Around 20,000. And that means there are fewer wild lions left in Africa than rhinos. There are 14 times fewer lions left than elephants or gorillas. And we hear so much about the conservation of those other animals all the time. And when we just had the um one of what was that the northern white the northern white rhino yeah that went extinct yeah definitely and we hear heartbreaking it is heartbreaking but when you talk to people and they think of threatened species they do think they think of elephants and rhinos potentially gorillas because these are the ones that have had a lot of attention we think about poaching a lot with that we think about poaching we think about a very clear threat and i think with lions for a start they are dying out in plain sight people don't realize this incredibly iconic species i think one of the most iconic species we have ever had because you look at humans since the dawn of time when they lived with cave lions lions have shaped what it really means to be human 
they are like they were one of the species that was first in cave art you know the first figurative art was of a lion head and a human body <laughs> like 40,000 years ago carved out of woolly mammoth ivory you've got this incredible history with this species and you think it is up to us now this generation to decide does that species persist for all future generations to come and that is a huge responsibility yeah wow that i'm sorry that really hit home for me because it is true i i i could picture all the things that you're talking about in my head all of the times in history and and in art that i've seen depictions of lions absolutely they've been central to our culture for the whole of of humankind let's pause here for a moment and let that sink in and then we're going to get right back to our conversation Humans are on a shrinking timetable and land area as well. A new report out last week sought to correct underestimated numbers of people threatened by sea level rise, and the results were staggering. The study found that 110 million people worldwide already live below the high tide line. And in just 30 years, the length of a typical home mortgage, that number could go up another 40 million. But it's not just the high tide line. The study found that by 2050, annual coastal floods will push higher than where 300 million people live around the globe. It might not be every high tide, but do you think your home or community could take being flooded every year? Habitat loss for humans is another big threat from climate change that hopefully this study will help in making better building and mitigation decisions. Now let's get back to my chat with Amy and the grim future lions in the wild are facing. What is the, if if we continue business as usual right now, what is the future of lions? I think we will end up with them in very small populations. So at the moment, what's terrifying is not just those numbers, the Mm 20,000, the fact that around half those populations have fewer than 100 animals and just under half have fewer than 50 animals left. So... Of the populations we have left, we only have six big populations left that have at least a thousand lions in them. Oh, gosh. So what will probably happen if that trajectory continues, they've roughly halved in the last 20 years. If that continues... half in 20 years? Yep. So people often equate it to The Lion King, saying since the first Lion King film, people love The Lion King. And since the remake now, they've roughly halved. Whoa. And so this is within, like, I remember the first Lion King coming out yeah. and loving it. And similarly, now it's like, you think, what are we doing? And we celebrate these animals so much, and yet we are not doing enough on the ground to protect them. And so if it continues as it was, those, they will remain, I think, in very well-protected areas. Things like Serengeti, Masai Mara, uh, maybe, you know, places in Botswana, potentially in Namibia. There will be a few pockets that have them, but that is not what we want, and that's not what it means to be a lion. To me, lions really represent wilderness areas. They represent these huge, intact ecosystems, and that's where we want them. We want them out there as these kings of the jungle, and something that, and that's a terrible phrase because they don't actually live in jungles, but <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> still this idea that they are kings of the savannah, this amazing species that represents so much else. And if we lose that, I think we would lose something truly central to what it is to be human to lose a world where we have wild lions it would be a terrible tragedy that i don't want to have to explain to my children yeah but what if we make changes i mean what are are you have you seen any signs of hope definitely and i think the really good thing about species like lions is they can bounce back we've seen recently in akagera national park for instance if you change the management if you change the investment lions 
will come back. They will rebound. We've seen in places like Namibia, lion populations are increasing. Oh, wow. It's really good that we know there are pockets of hope. We know that things can happen, even in our area, where we had all that lion killing. We have found that by engaging the communities, by enabling the presence of lions to be a driver for positive development for them, so that we have various initiatives where, directly through the presence of wildlife, they get more investment in healthcare and education, in veterinary medicine, the priorities for them. Mm. They have massively reduced the amount of lion killing. They now see lions as a net benefit, and we have lions and cubs now on village land being celebrated for their presence because they are seen as an asset. What a change. It's such a change, and we know it can happen. And we know that people, they don't want to kill lions in any bad way. They're not, they're not doing this thing because, it's, because it's, they're bad people. They're doing it because they are very vulnerable, often desperate people. And if we can address those threats to them, we can then lead to a place where things are better for both people and wildlife. That is really uplifting. I mean, it is. What can what can I do? I'm a I'm a you know meteorologist in America. What can I do on a daily basis or a yearly basis, whatever it may be, to help lions? Well, I think this is a huge and important thing. This idea of the conversation, but it's not raising awareness of the threats that species like lions face because people don't know no. these facts at all, and they also get bombarded by all this negativity. So I think understanding there are definitely things that that we can do both collectively, you know, all of us together, but even someone sitting in America, someone listening to this, wherever, in Chicago and saying, I'm never going to see a lion, but I care about them. How can I make a change? There are many things that people can do. And one of the exciting things we've been talking about this week is something called the Lions Share Fund. So something we have been struggling with is the fact that lions have this massive international value and other wildlife, but at the local level, they don't have that value. And what we need to do is to get companies that use images of wildlife to pay a very small amount, they suggest 0.5% of their media spend back to projects that actually help secure these animals. And I think for the person buying a good, every time you buy something, you're making a a decision, and that decision is listened to by the companies. So I think if this kind of initiative takes off, we want the consumers to look for companies that support the Lions Share Fund, for example, and to put pressure on those that don't, to say, why aren't you? You know, I want to support your company if you're doing this. And by those small individual decisions, you can make big changes collectively. And I think, if nothing else beyond that, just raising awareness amongst people's networks. We do all sorts of things like school twinning programs, and I think reaching children and saying, this is your future and you can have a role, even just by building awareness of what the problem is and what people can do and the fact there are solutions that can have a real impact for people in wildlife. That is, again, very uplifting. And I love kind of ending on this positive note. So we've, you've, your passion for these animals bleeds through. I mean, it is so, it's palpable. Can you, can we, and we talked about a low moment that turned into a positive moment in the conservation. But what about a moment where you were observing or if, where you were seeing these lions in their natural habitat? Uh, is there something that sticks out in the back of your mind that really gave you, like, I can see it in your face, like you just like went and looked somewhere <laughs> that like gave you goosebumps or gave you Definitely. that moment? Yeah, I was thinking of the very first time, I'd always been passionate, as I mentioned, particularly about lions. And the first time I went and managed to see wild lions and saw a group of lions with their cubs. And I remember watching the mothers playing with their cubs, the cubs like jumping on their father's tails. It's just such an amazing moments and I remember writing to my mother this dates it or I wrote to her that evening from Africa and said I can die happy because I've seen wild lions oh my and it was such a 
just such an uplifting moment, a sort of a real culmination of this childhood dream. And I really want it to be that for every generation to come, you know, they have that ability to say whatever impassions them about the natural world. And there is so much to celebrate that they can experience this. And this can not only be something they enjoy, but something that's of real value for people, including the people that live directly alongside it, so that we all see wildlife as a real benefit to humanity. I feel like I could talk to you for three more hours. (laughs) Thank you so much, Amy, for taking some time to talk to me. Thank you very much for having me. This podcast would not be possible without you. Yeah, you. When you rate and review this podcast, you offset a climate change denying troll who doesn't want the world to wise up. So rate and review in the name of truth until next week.